The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Good afternoon, everybody, or gosh, maybe it's not afternoon where you are. Well, good, good, good whenever it is, because we're really happy to have you. We have a jam-packed show today. If anybody is old enough to remember Ed Sullivan, sometimes he would say, we have a really big shoe, and that's what we have. Oh, my gosh, we have a a shoe that would fit, I don't know, Shaquille O'Neal, because first (laughs) I have... My lovely co-host today, Chrissy Benson. Hey, Chrissy. Hello. Chrissy is a fabulous attorney and a fabulous certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator here in New York City. And she is a great big fan of Dr. Will Tuttle. I am. Who and be, of Main Street Vegan. Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> we'll be coming on later. So Chrissy is with us today. We also have, speaking of Dr. Tuttle, coming up in the third segment of the show, uh, Michael Landfield, who is a... Um, graduate of of, uh, Will Tuttle's uh, World Peace Diet Program. He's also just about to um, publish his own book, and he's also working on a film about World Peace Diet things, so we'll be talking with him later on. And right now, we're speaking with Teresa Ryan. Teresa is a lawyer, too. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) If I was in any legal trouble, I'd be well taken care of today. She's a New York Times bestselling author, a speaker, animal advocate, vegan, and breast cancer survivor, though definitely not in that order. Of herself, she says that she is a work in progress. She's joining us today right in the middle of her book tour for her brand new book, The Dogs Were Rescued and So Was I. And she's doing events to benefit the Beagle Freedom Project. Hi, Teresa. Hi, great to be here. The beagles are here too, but I'm not sure they'll be saying anything to you. You never know with beagles. No, you never do. You never do. Well, Forbes is is here chewing on uh, some sort of little toy that has seen better days. So we are lawyered up and uh, dogged up. (laughs) We are. All good. All good. So, Teresa, tell us a little bit about first the first book and then about what inspired this one. Well, the first book was called The Dog Lived and So Will I, and it was the story of how my my first beagle, Seamus, uh, survived cancer against all odds. When he was about two, they told me that um, we, we found a lump, and they told me that with surgery and chemotherapy, he would live maybe a year. But uh, luckily, they were wrong, and he was by my side three years later when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So 
I jokingly say, although it's actually true, the book is really everything I needed to know to survive cancer I learned from my beagle. So that was that was the first book. And um, unfortunately, Seamus was diagnosed with cancer for a second time, although about eight years later, a totally different kind of cancer. And that's that's what launched me on on my journey that that, as I say, my journey to more compassionate lifestyle. I started looking for ways to fight cancer. I figured three battles with cancer in our little tiny household was too much. So I started looking for ways to change our lifestyle and see what I could do to make sure cancer didn't visit us again. And um, that, that that started me with the plant-based diet, and um, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> um, and I started sort of journaling that, what was happening to us and what I was finding. And um, the plant-based diet led me to, to looking at, at where food came from and what I'd been doing to my body and what I'd been doing to my dogs with the, with the products that I was using in my household and things like that. So the entire journey was inspired by, by my beagle and my dogs. Can I ask Teresa, are your dogs vegan as well? You know, that's one I have struggled with. I will be honest. Um, they are not vegan right now. Um, I, I do mix in some of the, the vegan uh, dog food with the regular and my my reason for that, and I, I like I said, I struggle with it. I'm still looking at it. I the two dogs I have now, one was rescued by Beagle Freedom Project, so came out of a laboratory where they did animal testing on him, and the other one is a three time cancer survivor. So I, I feel like I don't know if these are the dogs I want to experiment with because I, I haven't found quite enough support. And by that, I mean, I haven't found a vet to support me to say, yes, switch them to a vegan diet and we'll monitor and see how that goes. So, mm-hmm. Well, my little rescue has not made it all the way to vegan either. I had a wonderful vegan dog, Aspen. She lived to be 16. She finally did succumb to cancer, as it seems so many dogs do. She did great. My two grand dogs are, are vegan, although their dad will give them a little bit of something here and there. You know, it's kind of the compromise of, of living in a world <laughs> and being a minority. Um, but, you know, like you say that you're a work in progress. I think we're all a work in progress. And sometimes I think just the humility factor, because, you know, we want to be so perfect. It's like, well, yeah, I write all these books. So why don't I have this dog who came to me one day and said, make me vegan, mom. You know, we're, we're in process, like you say. And yeah, I, I exactly. just have to put in, I'm, I happen to be very lucky because I live with a wonderful cat named Sammy who's vegan. Well, that's very, <laughs> very lucky. I, I actually have a good friend who's a vet and she, she supports it. In fact, she was thinking of publishing a book on cats and veganism and how it affects them. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but. Sammy, I mean, I, I completely understand the concern about sort of experimenting with your companion animal's health, and I certainly wouldn't have moved forward with it if it would it was going to be detrimental to his health in any way. But the, the irony is that he's much healthier than he was before. He has so much energy, and his coat is so shiny, and he's just, he, he lost a little weight, which he needed to. So, um, I, but I am lucky with that. Well, I All think- of those... All of those things happened to me when I switched to the vegan diet. <laughs> You're a shiny. So, Teresa, you have a lovely quote on the front of the dogs were rescued and so was I. Not to mention the lovely photograph of your two gorgeous <laughs> beagles just looking at us with their beautiful faces. But Shannon Keith, who's the founder and president of the Beagle Freedom Project, says this is a must-read for anyone with a passion for animals. So tell us about the Beagle Freedom Project. Well, Beagle Freedom Project rescues animals that have been used in animal testing, so pharmaceutical labs, cosmetics, any of that sort of testing. Um, you know, and there's there's something like 70,000 dogs being tested on in the U.S. at any given time, and 96% of those are beagles. And that really came as a shock to me because I've loved beagles my whole life, and I had no idea that that was the animal being tested on. I, I'm not okay with any animal testing, but I guess like a lot of people, I just sort of 
put it out of my mind or thought it was rats and mice and whatnot to learn that it was beagles that were being tested on these, you know, I call them my heart dogs. These are the dogs I love and, and have grown up with and have had many of in my life was just shocking to me. So I started learning more about Beagle Freedom Project and have talked with Shannon many times and, and now Percival, the dog who I adopted that they rescued. Um, <laughs> we got a little, little vote of confidence back that there barking. <laughs> Um, first of all, and I now go to events and represent Beagle Freedom Project and what they do. So part of what they do is rescuing and rehabilitating these animals. You know, most, most of the dogs don't make it out of the testing. They either die as a result of the testing or they're euthanized after the tests are over. But the ones who, um, who survive and are healthy enough to be adopted, Beagle Freedom Project is fighting now for legislation to require that the labs who receive tax dollars then at least give the opportunity for rescue groups to come and take these dogs. Um, that bill has passed in Minnesota. It's pending in both California and New York. So we're, that's, that seems like a fairly low standard, right? We're not fighting the animal testing, although we'd like to see that stop. But we're at least asking that these laboratories who get tax, tax dollars then at least give a chance for these dogs to, to survive and go on to happy lives, like my Percival, who is asleep across my lap as we're talking. <laughs> And he certainly I've, adjusted. I've heard to, that one of one reason that beagles are so often used in labs for testing is that they're so good natured and wonderful to work with. Exactly, and that that gets used against them. They're really good natured. They're really um, aiming to please, and they're you know Percival is the friendliest dog you could ever meet. He goes right up to everybody, loves all people, and he spent eighteen months in a laboratory as a as a you know victim of animal testing but he's they use that that personality and that forgiveness you know against them and and make them the victims of the testing the one um i'll put in quotes bad habit that a beagle has i don't happen to think it's a bad habit but of course as anybody who's been around a beagle knows it's they're loud they howl so um frequently the the breeders who breed these dogs for the laboratory debark them and percival has been debarked as well Oh, um, is, that's that's yeah. an awful thing that, that people do with pet dogs as well. Gosh, there's a lot to work on in this world. Uh, the book is The Dogs yeah. Were Rescued and So Was I, an enchanting memoir from number one New York Times bestselling author Teresa J. Ryan. It's very interesting to me, Teresa, that as someone who has been through cancer, you're also someone who is questioning animal experimentation. I know they're doing a lot of great work, PCRM and, and some other groups. There are other ways and better ways to get knowledge and gain experience in the world of healthcare other than harming other living beings. Exactly. Yes. And I do, I get asked that question a lot because I am a cancer survivor. Um, but you know, we've been testing on animals for a long time and we haven't cured cancer yet. Maybe it is time to look somewhere else. And you know, I, I the, the thing I say to people who come up to me at Beagle Freedom Project events or different events or they've read the book or they want to talk about it, you know, that they always go straight to that. Well, what if it's what cures cancer? Well, that, that hasn't happened and dogs aren't people. And my, the thing I always say to people is, so if you believe in animal testing and you believe dogs and people are the same, you don't eat chocolate, right? And everybody looks at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, chocolate poisons a dog. So if you think we're the same, then I'm assuming you're not eating chocolate. Oh, and that's that good. <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, and there's there's a classic story of thalidomide. I mean, we all know about the thalidomide babies in the early 1950s who were born with grotesque deformities. That drug had been tested on a whole slew of different species, determined to be safe. And when the human babies were born with, with all these awful problems, what did they do? They went back to animal testing, and they finally found one species of Australian jackrabbit whose offspring had the same problems as the humans. It's just, it's, it's absurd. The things we do. It's, it's, yeah. it's so absurd. And I remember someone from PCRM mentioning that they've cured diabetes in rats, you know, and, and mice a million times over, and there's still no cure for humans. So like you said, 
um, Teresa, it, it does seem like it's time to look somewhere else. So I'm just wondering, yeah. can you talk about how your dogs have inspired you? Yeah, they, um, you know, Seamus, the dog in the first book, did did eventually pass away. You know, they, unfortunately, our dogs don't live as long as we do. And a- after that, you know, he started me on this journey and started with the plant-based diet and then started me looking into um, what are the things I could do to change our lifestyle? And that's how I discovered Beagle Freedom Project and what they were doing and ended up adopting Percival. And then we, we adopted another beagle. We call her Daphne. Um, and she was a, she was a stray dog picked up on the streets in LA somewhere. We've since been able to piece together her background as well. Um, and it's pretty obvious she was used by a backyard breeder and she had been shot. She has buckshot through her body. And she, um, great, someone's knocking on my door, sorry. She has buckshot through her body and hadn't been spayed. You know, it's just she had a, a miserable life, but also was a cancer survivor. Um, well, had cancer when we adopted her. So they really convinced me that I, I needed to do more in my life. I needed to fight these things and be really proactive. So I've, I've changed, as I said, my diet. I've changed the products in our household. And every time I even think about backsliding a little bit, all I have to do is look at those two dogs to stay on this path to a compassionate lifestyle. And, you know, because of them, I looked into a lot more things and discovered some of what we've been talking about, the ways in which we we really abuse animals and, and misuse animals in our lifestyle. And I've had to make a lot of changes for that. I love the barking as part of this interview. This is absolutely perfect. If only they could both bark. <laughs> That's right. Oh. Percival can, but um, it's it's really hoarse. He sounds like a heat, like a seal, a little bit. Oh. Um, and it it used to make me cry. When I, it made me very sad when I heard it. But now I feel like, well, he's getting his beagleness back. You know, he's feeling like a beagle and he's joining in. So I'm just going to be happy with that. Oh, yeah. that's all good. And we are going to be plugging for the dogs were rescued, and so was I to join. The dog lived, and so will I, on the bestseller lists of the New York Times, USA Today, the Wall Street Journal, and just about every place else. Is there a website or something for people who want to catch you out on tour? Sure. It's a, it's TeresaRine.com. So it's T-E-R-E-S-A-R-H-Y-N-E.com. Wonderful. Happy touring. Thank you very much. Thanks for being on the show. And everybody stay with us because before too long, we are going to be bringing on somebody you love to pieces. And that would be Dr. Will Tuttle of the World Peace Diet. Stay with us. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Spirituality into your own hands? Bucking corporate religion in favor of finding your own path? Do you cross the boundary between religion and science? Or between religions themselves? Do you like a dose of humor with your truth-seeking? 
If you answered yes, you're what we call a holy rascal. Join Rabbi Rami Shapiro for How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Central. Rami and his guests will engage in lively, humorous discussions about what it means to be a spiritual human being in the 21st century. How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m., only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show, and thank you so much for being with us wherever you are on the planet. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Will Tuttle, a visionary educator. He is presented widely throughout North America and worldwide. I want to hear that story, Chrissy, of Will speaking in Taiwan. Yes. To thousands of Buddhists. Very exciting. A vegan since 1980. He is the author of the number one Amazon bestselling book, The World Peace Diet, and is a recipient of the Courage of Conscience Award and the Empty Cages Award. He is the editor of the about-to-be-released book, Circles of Compassion, Connecting Issues of Justice. Hi, Will. Yes, hi, Victoria. (laughs) It's great to be here, and hi, Chrissy, and hello to everyone who's listening. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, and speaking of everyone who's listening, if you happen to be listening live, and this would be Wednesday, October 22nd, between 3 and 3.55 Eastern Time in the U.S., so if you do the math and figure out that you are listening to the live show, you can call us, 888-558-6489. You can ask your question of Dr. Tuttle. And you will win a membership in the American Vegan Society and a subscription to American Vegan Magazine. So 888-558-6489 if you want to join the conversation. So, Will, for anybody who maybe doesn't know the main message of the World Peace Diet, fill us in. Great, Victoria. Well, yes, uh, I think most people um, uh, who are aware of the teachings of unity are aware that the uh, the fundamental spiritual teaching is uh, about reconnecting with our intuition, our inner wisdom, and the loving kindness and compassion that are, as Charles and Myrtle Fillmore taught, and you know, our true nature. And the World Peace Diet basically extends this beyond humans to non-human animals and, and, and looks at the spiritual dimension of our relationship with animals and how, uh, unfortunately, in many ways, our culture's routine mistreatment of animals for food has repercussions that negatively affect our not only our environment and our health, but also the inner landscape of our emotions and our spiritual uh, sensitivity and consciousness. So the World Peace Diet is really about conscious eating and the enormous benefits that accrue to us when we question the official stories of our culture, the protein story, the calcium story, the human superiority story, and these other stories that are sort of uh, injected into all of us from the time we're little infants by being raised in this culture and begin to realize that animals like us have interests and that if we uh, honor those interests and move as best we can in the way we're living our lives toward uh, showing compassion and kindness and justice and mercy to animals, we not only help them, uh, we help wildlife, we help uh, hungry people, uh, future generations, ecosystems, and slaughterhouse workers, and a whole range of a uh, huge web, really, of uh, of, of interrelated um, beings, and uh, it's a, really, I think, just an enormously positive message, and it goes to the core, I think, in many ways, of what the spiritual teachings of the world religions have been about, and provides a way for us to move to a world where peace and justice and freedom and sustainability are actually possible. 
And what is the... Basically, yeah. I was just gonna going to ask what the main message is of your new book, Circles of Compassion. Right. Well, that's... Uh, you know, I, I was basically asked to uh, edit this book, and it's... Um, a book that takes, in a sense, the World Peace Diet message, which shows how our routine mistreatment of animals for food and other products represses our natural wisdom and compassion, which I refer to in the World Peace Diet as Sophia. Sophia was the ancient Greek goddess of wisdom, the divine feminine, essentially the sacred feminine within all of us, uh, which is a very important part of spirituality. And so extending that, well, basically the World Peace Diet talks about how our mistreatment of animals for food really creates the mentality of disconnectedness and reductionism that leads not only to violence towards animals, but also toward, to violence towards each other that creates conflict and war uh, against each other and against nature. And so this book takes that more specifically, and we have uh, gathered 30 uh, authors, actually, people who are uh, really well-known uh, experts and authorities in fields uh, like racism and sexism and heterosexism and classism and so forth and the, the various uh, social justice movements uh, here that we have in our society and they make the connections between uh, our treatment of animals or our mistreatment of animals I should say really and and how that actually lays the foundation for uh, the other social justice uh, issues that we have, world hunger, war, poverty, violence towards women, racism, uh, ableism, all these things are really connected at a deeper level to the violence that we uh, engage in 24 hours a day, basically, against animals for food and other products. And so it's kind of showing the connection between this huge uh, killing machine that we've created that's killing so many animals, 75 million animals a day just in the United States for food. And how that uh, wait? Really you said seventy seventy five yeah. million a day, right? See, that's the thing. We have we're that's a conservative mm-hmm. estimate. We're, the United, just in the United States, we the people take out our wallets, and every day we pay for into the system. We vote, basically, we vote with our wallets uh, collectively to kill seventy five million animals every day for food, just for food. And so that that whole thing, that whole system uh, that we've created, that was really here before we were even born. You know, I mean, it's not something we, you know, it was already going. But but most of us have been indoctrinated to participate in that and contribute to that, and it has just devastating effects on not only in the environment and on our health, but really I think on in our society, but also internally to our attitudes. You know, we we learn these attitudes of of exclusion of privilege, elitism, of entitlement, of might makes right. That's the subtext of every meal is that certain beings are superior, other beings are inferior. It's totally fine for the superior beings to dominate and exploit uh, and oppress the inferior beings. And so if we're on a spiritual path, the whole idea is to uh, question that mentality of uh, exclusion and domination and and, uh, using other beings uh, how we like. It's like uh, Jesus said, the whole idea of, the, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd doesn't kill the sheep. You know, <laughs> I mean, actually, shepherds do kill their sheep. So that's, <laughs> right. turns, you know, his, his teaching is like turning the whole thing on its head and saying, you know, what we're really called to do, the strong or the powerful are called to protect and care for the weak and vulnerable, not, uh, not dominate and exploit them. And uh, so basically the, the Circles of Compassion book that I'm editing takes this, this whole teaching another step further in a sense and looks more specifically through, over, through many different angles of, of, of people who are writing about this. And uh, I think it's really fascinating. I mean, the whole thing is an enormously important, I think, education. And I'm really delighted, of course, Victoria, that you have this uh, weekly program with Unity because I think Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, as probably people are aware, were right, uh, really on board with this message and were passionate about it back in the 1910s and 1920s. And uh, it's great to see uh, their original teachings continuing on here. Well, one thing that was really fascinating for me in the World's Peace Diet, and I, for people's information, I completed uh, Dr. Tuttle's World's Peace Diet certification training program. So I really got to explore the book in depth. But I was just fascinated by this concept that 
yes, our food system is incredibly violent. Most people don't even acknowledge that. But in the book, you point out that that violence didn't come out of nowhere. That violence needs to be sustained and maintained by certain problematic attitudes. And so I love that you go a level even beneath that, you know, level of violence that people don't even acknowledge for the most part and go beneath that and point out the attitudes that are required to condition people to participate in that. Can you, can you comment a little on those? Right. Yes, Chrissy. Thanks. You know, the, yeah, that's really the, the key here, I think, is to, to see that really all of us, just by virtue of being born and raised in this particular society at this time, growing up here and participating in, the, in breakfast, lunch, and dinner with our families, uh, we are all injected with a certain series of, um, uh, of mentalities, basically, of attitudes um, by going through these rituals, because meals really are the most powerful ritual in any society, and rituals are also the most powerful way that any society teaches people anything through rituals. And so this is the most powerful teaching we get in our society is our meals. And uh, basically, they're teachings that are not in our best interest in terms of creating a world uh, of joy and freedom and, and abundance and, and so forth because uh, the underlying teaching is of the commodification of life, of learning to have eyes that when we see a being, we don't see a being, we see a thing. You know, this is the fundamental teaching of uh, being raised in a family where we're eating meat, dairy products, and eggs routinely. Uh, if, we're, if we're having breakfast one morning and we're eating bacon, it would be very uh, unusual. It'd be, it would be a taboo, really, for someone to say, wow, I wonder what she was like. You know, and so they would say, well, your, your, you know, your mother or father or other people would say, well, what, who was like? You know, well, I mean, you know, this is bacon that came from an animal, right? I mean, <laughs> but we don't do that. You know, the, the mentality that is injected into us really from the time we're little kids is to not think about certain things, to not be aware, to just shut down our awareness and to stay shallow, not to go deep and not to look deeply, not to become conscious of the connections. But making connections is really the foundation of intelligence. And so it's basically our meals, our, our, our ritualized uh, our teachings, unfortunately, that reduce our awareness. They, they basically force us in many ways to numb ourselves uh, and insulate ourselves from what we're actually doing. And when we have an entire culture that's doing that and has been forced into that, then unfortunately we have a society which is doing what, in many ways what we are doing today. We see it all around us. We're cutting down the rainforest right now at a rate of about an acre per second. We're causing the mass extinction of other species um, unprecedented and, and, you know, rate and, and many other things that are really detrimental to our happiness and abundance and, and, and um, the possibility to celebrate our lives in joy and freedom uh, as we can on this earth. So I think uh, this, this, this series of mentalities of disconnectedness, of reductionism, of the, of the domination of the sacred feminine, you know, all of these are part and parcel of being raised in a society where we're eating meat, dairy products, and eggs. And so if we really, I think, are serious about cultivating our spiritual dimension and being part of, uh, of the healing of our world, we are called to, to really... Um, take seriously what Charles and Myrtle Fillmore taught from the very beginning, which is to extend compassion to all living beings. Charles wrote back in the 1914 or 1910, I think it was, he said, we, sh we sh um, need never look for universal peace in this world as long as men kill animals for food. You know, this is, the, this is right at the very core of the unity teaching in many ways. Uh, and it's great to see that uh, we can remember that and cultivate a positive mentality rather than these other really negative things that come from eating animals. Well, Will, that thing that you said about, I wonder what she was like about the animal that was then killed for meat, that is so, so powerful. You know, I was talking earlier, I'm transitioning my little rescue dog into being vegan. He had some trouble early on, and he's probably like 90%. But as I do this transition process, that is exactly what I'm going to think as as I do this, you know. And, and, and I'm right. feeding him, you know, what the vet is saying, that twice a week, you know, some beef because a cow is big and you're not causing so many deaths. But the fact is... What was she like? 
So you have uh, certainly given me something to work with. And I think that's not a, a ridiculous thing for somebody to say with Thanksgiving coming up. If the family is saying, oh, why don't you just have a piece? It would seem perfectly acceptable mm-hmm. I, to just say, you know, I just wonder what she was like. Oh, who? The turkey. <laughs> Yeah, you're right, you know, and it's kind of neat because um, last year and this year, too, Madeline and I are going to be going up here to Animal Place and we uh, on Thanksgiving, uh, or right before Thanksgiving, actually, and um, we have this wonderful feast where everyone feeds the turkeys. <laughs> you know, we, we feed them and we get to uh, see how much they love to eat uh, you know, grains and, and uh, baked goods and things like that and, and, and hug them and, and uh, hold them and, and pet them and just get to know them a little bit and uh, they really are uh, beings, just like dogs and cats, who have unique personalities and have, uh, you know, very sensitive uh, mechanisms to feel pain and pleasure and everything else, and who love to spread their wings and fly into the trees. And we have wild turkeys here around us where we live, and they, it's just wonderful to see them uh, living their lives out here. So, uh, so that's it. I think that you're right. It's, it's they are they are someone, not something. And I love it, Will, that when you talk about the the new book, The Circles of Compassion, that you're talking about bringing together these various justice movements. I think that's really where the animal rights movement, the vegan movement, is heading right now, is about bringing things together, certainly with the environmental part of it. You were in Cowspiracy, which is just such a wonderful film. Anybody who hasn't seen it, check out Cowspiracy. It, It will rock your world, and Will Tuttle is is one of the people interviewed. So what was that like? And are are you seeing more people waking up to the environmental aspects? Yeah, this is really, it's so great. Finally, there's a movie out, a a well-done movie uh, that goes into the environmental impact of animal agriculture, which is utterly devastating. And and this movie really shows not only how governmental agencies uh, really refuse to, uh, to protect the environment because they're infiltrated by uh, the meat, dairy, and egg industry and because they're really beholden to the meat, dairy, product, uh, meat and dairy industry, but also how environmental groups like Greenpeace and Sierra Club and Rainforest Action Network and 350.org and all these groups who you would think would, would be serious about protecting the environment and how they also don't do that because, again, they're beholden to their uh, donors who perhaps don't want to hear that mess- the message that animal agriculture, that eating meat and dairy is bad for the environment, so they just don't talk about it. And uh, so it's a, I think it's a terrific movie, and it's kind of interesting because Chrissy uh, went through the World Peace Diet Facilitator training program and uh, just mentioned that, and um, uh, a little later we'll have Michael Anfield who's gone through it. But the fellow who, uh, who's the star, in a sense, the creator of uh, Cowspiracy, that movie, uh, Kip Anderson, uh, he went through the World Peace Diet Facilitative Training Program uh, with us in Cincinnati a few years ago there at the, um, at the Jubilee. We, we have a week, we do, do it for a weekend, and it was really interesting, you know, he, this young guy, and he came, he went through the, the, the training, and he said, you know, I want to I do something to bring this message to the world, and Maybe I can make a film or something, and I said, mm-hmm. "Yeah, that'd be great," you know. <laughs> and a few years later, he, he was yeah, he kept you know we stayed in touch about. It. He said, "Yeah, I'm making this movie." He said, "I'm going to call it Cowspiracy." I think, "What is that a good name?" He said, "I don't think it's a good name." And I said, "Yeah, I think it's a great name." You know, you, you know, it's a good name. Use it, you know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so he uh, like like you say, and you know, along the way, you know, he uh, he he did some great interviews, included with Michael Pollan and and uh, and a lot of real experts in. Uh, Richard um, Uppenlander and other people who've done just terrific work in in Howard Lyman and so forth. And um, I just highly recommend it. It's it's like conspiracy, but with a W instead of an N. So it's cowspiracy, and it really looks at uh, the effects of animal agriculture uh, on our earth and really, I think, on our sensibilities as well. And um, I think the more, it's really education. You know, I think uh, Orson Welles, it was, who said that our civilization is a race between education and catastrophe. <laughs> and uh, I think that's, I mean, it's really true. And uh, anything we can do to help educate uh, each other about these, the ramifications of animal agriculture, the devastating effects that it has before it really is too late, is very important to do. 
Well, I, I loved Caspier's. I agree. It was great. And one of the things that I really appreciated about the film is that it was so empowering. You really came away from that film realizing, okay, these environmental groups may not be doing what they need to do, but I can do something three times a day by in the choices that I make as to what to eat. And that's what I loved most about the world's peace diet. There were so many things I loved about that book, but I particularly appreciated just the empowerment concept that all our lives we've been told what to eat. You know, you just really point out that most of us never chose to start eating animals. It was thrust upon us, forced upon us. We were indoctrinated and brainwashed into it. And that now as adults, as informed, spiritually aware, growing adults, we can make different choices. We can consider how we want to live and how we want to bring our values to our meals. So I just, I just, that meant a lot to me in the book. Um, can you, can you talk a little about empowerment? Sure. Yeah, I know we very, don't have very a lot quickly. of time here, but because <laughs> I yeah, think yeah. we're about um, to break. Basically, I think you know I, I've noticed like when we, when Madeline and I have done lecture, we do this long lecture tour. Even even in places like rural Iowa, you know, where I talk about the fact that no one who's eating animal foods is doing it out of their own free choice. We're doing it just because we're following orders. You know, the orders that were injected into us very early on by our families and every institution in our culture, and no one ever argues that. You can't argue that. I mean, it's absolutely. True, you know that's why we're doing. So the whole idea is to not simply be following orders that we could never question because we were just little infants and, and growing up, but to actually connect with our intuition, with our deeper wisdom, and use that to make our choices. Well, you have so important. much deep wisdom. We could talk forever. I hope that you'll want to hang out with us when we're talking to Michael sure. after this short break. Sure. Um, circleofcompassion.org, ways to find out about Will's work. We will be back with Michael Landfield, brand new book, Movie in the Works. Stay with us. Reverend Paulette Pipe's voice has been called mesmerizing, the sound of spirit expressing in soothing honey tones. If you're one of the loyal listeners who tune in each week for her program, Touching the Stillness, you already know the power of her meditations. If her programs leave you wanting more, purchase one or both of her meditation CDs, Touching the Stillness, her first CD, and the newly released Resting in Stillness. This latest CD combines Paulette's alchemic voice with an original score by pianist Kelly Hunt and will transport you to a place of divine peace. Enliven your meditations with Reverend Paulette Pipe as your guide and take her soothing voice and peaceful presence with you wherever you go. Get your copy today. Go to www.unity.org and then click on Shop. That's www.unity.org and click on Shop at the top of the page. Many people believe that happiness is an addition problem. If we can add what we want to our life, then we will be happy. In reality, happiness is a subtraction problem. It is learning to subtract all that has kept us from being happy. What thought, fear, or belief is keeping you from being happy? Let it go from your mind and watch how much happier you become. Let go of the past. Release regret and resentment, and you'll be free to move forward and create the life you deserve. This moment of inspiration was brought to you by Reverends Richard Mirage and Richard Rogers, hosts of Spiritual R&R. For more spiritual insight, join them every Monday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. 
adding to this genuine party today, uh, it's my pleasure to introduce to you author, educator, and filmmaker Michael Landfield. As we said, Michael is a certified world peace diet facilitator inspired and taught by Dr. Will Tuttle. This is must be the season of the guru and the <laughs> disciple because on the 4th of November, uh, mark your calendars, our guest will be Russell Simmons with his yoga teacher, Sharon Gannon. So that's cool. So today we have Michael Landfield and his mentor, Will Tuttle. Um, Michael Landfield gives talks that are informative, inspiring, and interactive. He is currently writing and producing a film based on the World Peace Diet and his own awakening. And Chrissy and I have been reading this book, this fabulous book called The Interconnectedness of Life, which I believe, and he can tell us, will be available in January. Michael has been vegan since 2009. You can find him at michaellandfield.com at weareinterconnected.com. And right here, right now, welcome, Michael. Hi, Victoria. Hi, everyone. Hi, Christy. I will. Thank you for having me on. Hi. Hi, Michael. Wonderful, wonderful to have you on. So what led you to the World Peace Diet? What got you started? I particularly, I don't know. <laughs> I just somehow found uh, the free PDF online. I started reading it, and I just couldn't, understand what I was reading. It was like beyond my comprehension. It was such a spiritual book, but the first few pages, I just, I just couldn't get into it. And it took me a while, about a few months or maybe a year. Um, it was probably 2010 that I, that I, um, first read the book. And eventually I, when I started reading and reading more of it, then I started actually, you know, in depth understanding the ideas. And then I bought the paperback copy and uh, it was just amazing. I mean, I saw Will Tuttle's, um, you know, videos online and his uh, interviews and uh, all that. And I was just so inspired. So it took me a little bit uh, to actually, you know, understand the ideas because I thought I was a spiritual person at the time and I really was, but not um, what Will was actually addressing in his book. And I really thank him for writing this because it has really transformed my life and a lot of people's lives around the world. Gosh, Will, maybe if you work harder, people will start liking you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if they like me as long as they stop eating animals. That's amazing. <laughs> so, well, Michael, no. go ahead. Michael, were you, were you already vegan when you read The World's Peace Diet? I actually went vegan in 2009. It was sometime spring or summer. <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't particularly know when, but spring, summer 2009. And... Um, I actually went pescatarian in 2008 uh, after watching um, uh, Shark Water, the film Shark Water, and also seeing um, some PETA videos online. And uh, that made me go pescatarian for health reasons, but uh, it wasn't until 2009 that I had a spiritual awakening that I went vegan for ethical and um, environmental well, mostly ethical reasons for the animals, and um, I mean, I can tell you my—I can tell you a brief um, awakening, my brief story. I can, yeah, I can. T tell us your brief story because whenever somebody says, "I had this aha," "I had this spiritual uh -huh. awakening," all of a sudden I knew. And my question is always, "Well, how do we help people have that?" So, so tell us quickly what was yours. Well, to answer your question, how. Do we get people to, to go to that aha stage is, we, I don't know. Um, for everyone, it's a, it's a different, uh, different journey, different progression, different awakening. And I think truly it is seeds that are planted within us and questioning everything that our society puts on to us. And I think... How did it happen for you? And for me, um, I'll try to keep it short, but for me, I in, about, in approximately spring of 2009, I was food poisoned from eating shrimp. 
and I was taken to the hospital. I was hospitalized for about a day. And all these, you know, questions of like, you know, who am I? What is my purpose on this planet? Why are humans so destructive? All these questions were uh, in, going uh, in my mind. And I just, I, I didn't know like how to answer them. And I was so uh, like lost in my life. So a few weeks later after the incident happened, I had this awakening. I was meditating, looking up at the sky, and this voice called out to me. And it said, if I truly profess to love animals and the planet, why am I still consuming animal products? And at the time, I was actually consuming uh, eggs, cheese, and so-called seafood, but I don't like that term. So, um, But I was consuming these foods, and... At first, I didn't know what was happening because it just, this revelation just came to me and I didn't want it to happen, but it happened and there was nothing I could do to take it back. So there was this awakening that I had and it was some kind of voice that came to me. And a few seconds later, it was like weight was being lifted off my shoulders. It felt so beautiful and I felt so blessed that I understood finally what my purpose was on this planet. And I finally understood that I was connected, like everything was connected, the birds and the trees and the insects and, and the clouds and everything was interconnected. And I felt so blessed that I just wanted to tell everybody about my, about my awakening and my story. And I right away, I just started organizing events I stopped eating all animal products at that time on my awakening, but I did not know what vegan was until like maybe a few weeks later. I heard the word, but I didn't know what really what it meant. So I um, eventually, a few weeks later, I, I understood that I was a vegan and that I had to do whatever I could to, to, to um, enlighten people or to educate people on this uh, issue. And then, you know, here I am today, uh, as a vegan, that um, is such that is such a beautiful story. Last night you. I went to a, a lecture at the Transcendental Meditation Center by a fellow who's written a book about spiritual experiences called The Supreme Awakening. And when you talked about feeling a part of everything, that that's just such a, a classic earmark of, of that wonderful experience that we're sometimes grace to have and how terrific that after you had it your life changed so tell us a a bit about the interconnectedness of life your new book it's a little bit like will's book but of course it's my own my own view and my own words um one really great thing that i had i had a karen davis uh, maybe some of you know the author and president of the um, United Poultry Concerns, and she wrote the foreword to the book, which I'm very, very great, grateful and uh, happy to her, and also many others who have contributed to the book with their stories at the end of the book. There's like a stories of, um, of their awakening, how they went vegan. So there's, uh, I believe, like nine stories there, nine people that actually contributed. So the book is ultimately, um, it takes you uh, chapter by chapter. It's short chapters on why veganism is like so important, but the underlining, um, underlining reasons of why it's so important. And a few uh, controversial issues as well. Uh, like I do talk about, uh, like as you were talking about Victoria before about um, uh, feeding our companion animals, let's say, for example, meat, meat-based pet foods, and I talk about that. And I also talk about uh, people who are actually not vegans that claim to be vegans. So there's a little bit of controversy on that, but I've uh, been um, sending friends my book to actually um, to actually like, review and to comment on it, and I have had a lot of positive so far, a lot of positive comments on my book, which I'm very happy. And I had a very, very, very excellent um, copy editor uh, for this book. So it's been a pleasure. It's been four years writing this book. And I actually wrote it probably three or four times. And I just deleted the 
the manuscript because I didn't I didn't like what I wrote and I just kept rewriting it and rewriting it. That's why it's taken so long. And here I am today, and I think it's a blessing that I am here to actually contribute to something positive in this world and uh, not uh, to support these you know, destruction. So. And I, I found the book very accessible. The short chapters are nice. You really pack a lot in, but it's not overbearing. It's You can absorb it. And how about the film? Can you tell us something about that? Yeah, the film actually came to be in, I believe it was May of 2013. And I always wanted to create a documentary film after seeing BBC documentary films and Sharkwater and so forth that I just felt like this was the way I wanted to go. And I... It, the process is just amazing. I mean, I was just editing a video recently. But anyways, the film is is more or less based on the World Peace Diet. And I thought there is really no film on the World Peace Diet. And I'm so inspired by the World Peace Diet that I'm going to actually create this film based on the, on the book. And so I got to talking to Will about that and... Uh, hopefully next year I'll be doing actually a lot more on it and really working directly with Will in getting this film, you know, the ideas and everything into into this film. But trying to actually convey a spiritual message on film is going to be really difficult. Um, it's my first full-length documentary that I am creating. I've created short, kind of like 5, 10, 20-minute uh, pieces before, but this is the first full-length documentary film that I'll be undertaking so it's a real real challenge for me because it's it's a learning curve this is my first uh, time that I'm actually doing a film like this and so um, yeah it's a real learning curve for me you know, f- films are tough because we have a, a feature film in the works, Miss Liberty, about a cow who escapes from a slaughterhouse and you know having been in the publishing world it's just easier, you know, with, with a book, all you need is a, is a computer or a pen <laughs> with a film. It's a big deal. So uh, I admire that you've done that and that you're going forward with it. And some of the great uh, vegan movies out there were made by people whose that was their first film, like Vegucated, I believe was the, yeah. that was the case. And Speciesism. I think Cowspiracy, Speciesism, yep. And Cowspiracy, it was Kip's first film. I don't think it was uh, the co-producer, Keegan's. It was not his first film, but Kip had never made a film right. before. Keegan, so. Keegan, from what I understand, he uh, worked on three films. He worked on um, Animals and the Buddha, I think it's called. And then another one with rescued uh, chickens, I believe. One, I can't remember. Sherlock. Sherlock. Yeah, he yeah. he he worked on that as well. So, well, yeah. we have just two minutes left, and Will and Michael, since you guys are World Peace Diet fellows, you want to take mm-hmm. the last two minutes? Sure. Sure. I mean, I, I uh, it's been a really wonderful opportunity to hear a little bit more from Michael about his um, process, and uh, and uh, it, I, I agree with you, Victoria. You know, just actually hearing someone's story about their uh, transformation to uh, a more compassionate way of living is uh, it, it just that itself, I think, is, a, is inspiring. I think that's one of the reasons that Cowspiracy is such a great success is that it's just telling the story of, of Kip, you know, and, and uh, you can't really argue with someone's story. You just see the story, and we learn, I think, from that. We, we, we see from their point of view, and uh, I think that they can be a way of liberating everyone. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Michael has um, got up his sleeve there for <laughs> doing, the, doing a movie. And uh, I think there's a huge um, transformation happening on our planet right now. I I was, uh, I guess it was in January, I was in Taiwan where I, the World Peace Diet had been out for a couple of years. And usually, you know, here in this country or in Europe, when we give lectures, we're used to having maybe a 50 or 100 or maybe a few hundred people uh, showing up. But, you know, to have 2,000 people just come to a, a lecture uh, like we did, like happened there and to see that there's thousands, actually over 1,000 vegetarian restaurants and the, the whole uh, culture is basically embracing 
uh, vegetarianism and veganism both. Uh, the world more and more so i'm so sorry will the world is changing but time does not stop so we really (laughs) must end so let me michaellanfield.com and that's l-a-n-f-i-e-l-d or weareinterconnected.com and michael also has a terrific youtube page you can find will at willtuttle.com or worldpeacediet.com and your website chrissy mindsbodyspiritgroove.com Oh, you are groovy. (laughs) And we'll be back next week. Our guest will be Dr. Richard Openlander. God bless you one and all, and eat those veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.